Great. Well, welcome back uh, this morning. How many of you were here this morning? A couple. The rest of you were not. So let me, uh, would you take one of these and pass it around to everybody? Um, I'll take one. Oh, go ahead. I got one here. Um, this morning we talked about the uh, right arm, which is the health work, the Adventist doctrine, and the mark of the beast. <laughs> and we talked about how the health message is related to each of the key doctrines of the Adventist church. And each of the key doctrines of the Adventist church, right in your little flyer that I gave you, uh, each of the key doctrines of the Adventist church are found in Revelation chapter 1. And that Bible study is right here um, inside this flyer called uh, Sharpen Your Sickle with Facts, Not Opinions. Okay, So that's right there. And all of the S's, how many of you can remind me of, of what S's you find in uh, Revelation chapter 1? What's the first one? Scriptures, then salvation, then second coming, then the Sabbath, then the sanctuary, then the state of the dead, then the spirit of prophecy, and then the saints or the church. All of those teachings are, are kind of crystallized in, um, in Revelation chapter 1. So that's a good study guide for you, and uh, that way uh, you can have it in one place. The rest, of course, the flyer tells a little bit about our, our program at the Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism. Well, this afternoon... I wanted to take the second step. After we've seen that all of these different doctrines are related to uh, the health message and how uh, the health message just kind of opens it up, we want to then see uh, some principles on leading people from health to Him. Or in other words, as we minister to their health needs, how we can lead them from that to Jesus. How many think that's probably a good idea to talk about? Well, that's what this seminar is about. So if you're on the wrong plane, heading the wrong place... Uh, we're going to close the door here and depart momentarily. Um, these, this is my wife. Just to introduce you to my family a little bit. This is my wife and kids. And uh, they're a little bit older now. My, my daughter Catherine there is now two. Isn't she cute? She broke her little arm last week. Um, and so she, she has a, a pink cast on. But she's doing okay now. Uh, but she's quite a personality. She's, uh, she's nefarious. Or as they say in Romania, she's uh, schmackery. She's uh, kind of sneaky. You know, she's, uh, she's uh, actually a very cunning little girl. And uh, this is my son. That's uh, a, it's a very early picture of my son. It's amazing what they can do with photography now. And, um, but he looks a little, little, little different now. This is him uh, a little bit later in life. Uh, that's his, of course, heart. And if you're wise enough, you can tell why he's a boy based on that picture as well. This is him right after he was born. This is 30 seconds after he was born. Doesn't he look kind of sneaky? I mean, he looks like he's going to be trouble already, I think. And, you know, he's kind of lived up to that. He is, he is uh, he's quite a guy. I call him Malcolm. Malcolm, not Malcolm in the middle. Malcolm at the end because he's the last child uh, so far. Uh, I mean, don't let my wife hear that because she would be terrified. But Malcolm means, Mal means the follower of and Colum means the dove, the follower of the dove. That's what Malcolm means. And uh, Columbanus and Columba in Scotland were the early patron saints, if you will, of that nation. And so those that followed them were called Malcolmites. They followed Columb. You probably didn't want to know that, but uh, now that you do, don't forget it. And he's, this is his little house inside our house. There he is. And he likes to dress up in dresses, but uh, we don't know what that means yet. So... Anyway, I thought you might want to know my family a little bit. Well, let's just pray together uh, again. Ask the Lord to then bless us as we study this afternoon. 
Father in heaven, we're thankful that uh, you came and you led people with your health message to your Father, to yourself. Everything you said, basically, the Father told you uh, to say. Every time you spoke, you said, verily, verily, which was a marker that you were saying exactly what he had told you to say. We want to be like that, radical disciples for you, as we've been challenged in today's message. And so bless us as we uh, now continue to study how we can do that in the arena of health and health evangelism. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, you know, leading people from health to him. Now, this is an earlier lecture, I can tell. And I don't know why that's to the side. Is anyone here a Mac user who can tell me why that's to the side? If your church was a shutdown with the community notice, what program or service would they want to continue? Isn't that a pretty good thing? In other words, did, how many of you heard the message today? How many of you heard the message today? How many of you were not there for the message today for, for Jeffrey? Well, basically what he said is that, you know, you've got to believe in a radical way and turn the world upside down. That's basically it. And he says, why aren't you doing that? Well, <laughs> and if you're not doing that, then do you really believe? That was really the message, but he took about an hour to say it. So, uh, and it was very good the way he said it. So, um, you know, when Jesus came, he, he, he was radical, see, back in the New Testament time. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to touch you without permission. I was signing a release form. But back in the... Uh, Back in Jesus' time, you know, there were two big classes of people. There were the prophets and there were the priests. Well, actually, it were just the priests. And the priests were the type of people that really liked to run the institution, you know? Like, for instance, they had the goats and the, the, the lambs and the rams, and they'd sell them so you could have a sacrifice, you know? This was big business. So they'd come and they'd sell them in the, in the temple, and then they would also figure out how to make money on the exchange rate. They also would figure out how to make money on the travel expenses, you know? They usually would not fly Delta back then or anything else, but they'd travel, you know, and they'd have that all figured out. They'd have places for them to live, and they would make money on the places they had to live. They really had it going on. I mean, they were making a lot of money. But then the, a prophetic voice like John the Baptist would come along and say, Repent! And clean out the temple, you know? And then Jesus came. They didn't like the prophetic voice, and usually prophets got killed. Now, if Jeffrey would have been preaching today, and he says, All right, all of us are going to leave Southern, Southern University right now and proclaim the gospel. <laughs> that would have been over the edge. They would have come and taken him away, right? You understand what I'm saying? All right, I'm not suggesting that even here, because I don't want them to take me away either. But there's this tension between the priests and the prophets. And uh, this was even magnified more in Jesus' ministry because, you know, it says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and Jesus went everywhere uh, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and disease among the people. So he came and he went everywhere. I mean, look at this. It's a great acronym. He did restoring, restoration. He did education. Every time he healed someone, he'd go, after they healed him, he said, go show yourself to the priest. Uh, go and sin no more. This was education. So they'd be really happy, and then they'd go, go and sin no more. So the restoration always led to education. And then he would educate. He said, go show yourself to the priest, because he wanted to educate the priest, too. And then, you know, have you ever noticed that Jesus would always say, but don't tell anybody. The guy hasn't walked for 30 years. The, the, the woman has had this bleeding for 12 years. And finally she gets over it. He says, don't tell anybody. Did anyone ever, believe, ever actually do what Jesus said with that? No, they just jumped up. They rejoiced. They told everybody. So restoration led to education. Restoration to education led to adoration. They adored Jesus. And then they reached out. They couldn't help. They said, don't tell anybody. They would join him in proclamation. REAP. How many of you like that little acronym? R E. 
A-P, reap. That's what would happen. So Jesus, he, he went about that. Now, why is that to the side? Does anyone know why that went to the side like that? Is anyone a PowerPoint user here? Must have been something that went wrong. What? No, I don't think that's it. That can't be it. That's going to be not very good. We'll see what happens. It's all to the side. Hmm. We have an equipment malfunction here. You don't know how to fix it. Well, did that help us? Let me see here. Let me see here. Let me just go to system preferences. Does anyone know how to fix this? Is anyone here a Mac user? Huh? You are? What would you say? What would you say? How would you say to fix it? Uh, Let me try that. All right, let's try that. Let's see if that fixed it. Okay, so how many of you are with me so far? Beautiful. Man, a Macintosh fix a Macintosh. I mean, my name is Macintosh, and I fix the Macintosh. I mean, that is beautiful. I mean, let the windows all break. I mean, the I mean the IBMs. I mean, this is, this is, you guys are like on the cutting edge here. Okay, so Jesus was so radical, and he said, "Look, if you want to make it, hi, how you doing, Emily? Good to see you again. Uh, if you want to really turn the world upside down, you have to have these three elements: education, proclamation, and restoration." And, and this is what it says here. The workers engaged in educational lines and ministerial lines and in medical missionary lines must stand as a unit laboring under the supervision of God. Let me just tell you something. If here at Southern University, people got healed when they came here, you know, diabetics got rid of that, everybody else, and they knew that. Come, just coming to Southern University would be like healing. How many think there'd be a lot more people here? How many think this room would be a little more full? Yeah, I think so. That'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? Now, when I went to Amazing Facts to work there at this uh, ministry where they have all these prophecy seminars, I showed them this quote. Look at what it says. I almost got fired. Soon, there will be no work done in ministerial lines except medical missionary work. (laughs) So then they put me in charge of the department. So I'm in charge of that department now. And this is what we're going to talk about today. If we want to be effective in health evangelism, if you want to be not just a believer, but a believer... Are you with me? Trying to play off Jeffrey. If you want to be a believer, not just a believer, like a doer instead of a donter, then you, you have to follow these principles. Scientific excellence, sacrificial service, sufficient time, significant interaction, establishing a spiritual path, a source of authority, a sequence of Scripture, and then I would say the significance of what you're doing, adding another S to this daunting row of S's. That's what we're going to go through, Okay. First of all, scientific excellence. If you want to do a good health program, you've got to have scientific excellence. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Okay. How many of again were you here this morning? Okay. The remnant. Okay. Scientific excellence. And we talked about this this morning. What Adventists have been given about 140 years ago is a remarkable gift. In other words, all the things that we know about, uh, about health. There's even a book out called The Seventh-day Adventist Diet. You know? And there's 300 scientific studies, peer-reviewed scientific pages in the medical literature. That means they don't just write a paper and say, this is good. They have other people look at it and they say, yeah, that is good. And one of them says, yeah, that's really good. They, they, they were right about telling you it's good. 300 of those. 
about Seventh-day Adventists. What other denomination has that? I mean, you know, that's pretty good. How many of you are thankful to be a Seventh-day Adventist? Whoa! 300 pages. Well, my religion is quite scientific. We have 300 pages written about us, or papers in the scientific journal. I wouldn't stand like that because, you know, you might get put in the green cage or something. But... I've used a couple programs when I went to my church in Wichita, Kansas about, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago, and I stayed there about uh, 14 years. When we went there, we used what was called the Coronary Health Improvement Program. How many of you ever heard of this program? The chip program. This is not the chocolate chip or the Dorito chips. This is the coronary health. And coronary means, what does coronary mean? No, 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 no. Now, what does it mean? Not where is it? (laughs) That's where it is. But what does it mean? Crowning is what coronary means. So like if you put your crown on right, you know, everything from down there is pretty good. So the crowning arteries, if you take care of those arteries, then all the other arteries will probably be pretty good. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. So the CHIP program, this is a picture of the program in my church there. And this is one of the graduations that we had there before I was leaving. And what happened was that these people had these radical changes in in things that are really, that cause problems. Cholesterol. How many of you heard that cholesterol is not always the best thing for you? Actually, it is the best thing for you, not to go against you, but every single cell in your body has some cholesterol. You You wouldn't have anything without cholesterol, but we just have too much of a good thing. You know what, too much of a good thing, you know? And uh, so you try and get them to lower the cholesterol. And pre-chip, their cholesterol was at 210. But then after chip, which is four weeks, it goes down to 175. That's a 15 to 20% drop in total cholesterol. That's amazing because, you know, every percentage point that you drop in cholesterol is a drop 2 to 3% in the risk of dying from heart attack. How many think that's pretty good? So people that come to your church, what's 15 times 3? What's 20 times 3? So like an average would be what? 50. So somewhere, uh, like 50, a 50% drop in your risk of dying from sudden death just by coming to the Adventist church and going through the program. Can you say hallelujah? That's radical. Isn't that radical? I mean, a statin drug, you know, it takes out your liver and does the same thing. But look, if you could do that, if you could, if you could package this, you would be rich. How many of you want to be rich? Be honest. Be honest, you do. But, but you're already rich is what I'm telling you. With the message of health that your church can provide, man, people get radically changed by it. It's radical. Now, what about weight loss? And this is not by amputation. This is regular. Women lose about 5.5 pounds and men 6.5, right, in just a month. You're saying, well, that's no big deal. Well, if you keep going for 10 months, how much would that be? 55 pounds or 65 pounds. And uh, one guy, he was in my program, he weighed 440 pounds. He couldn't even get in a car. He was so big. He came in a truck. And it wasn't the back of the truck, but he had a special big seat. He lost, he's lost now, he lost now like 250 pounds. He still is big, but I've seen him bigger. That's amazing. And his life has completely changed. Those taking blood pressure medications, 90% of them no longer need their medications. And blood pressure medications are not for the faint-hearted. They can mess up a lot of things. Anything the blood goes, and then place the blood goes, they can mess it up. And uh, I won't go into it, but there's a lot of good reasons to get off blood pressure medication. And um, 90% of the people no longer need them. Those taking insulin pills, or not pills, like, you know, uh, being orally medicated, that is taking the pills for diabetes, 90% no longer need them after they go through the program. 50% of those taking insulin no longer needed 
injections. That's amazing. How many think that's amazing right there? How do think that's radical? That's what Seventh-day Adventism will do. You remember that thing I showed you this morning about the sanctuary? You had the unclean, then you moved into the courtyard, you had the clean meats, and then you go to the holy place, and you had the transitional, like, meat and foods, and then you, in the most holy place, you just have manna. <laughs> Amen? So when you get, like, up to the most holy place, right, you're the most holy place, you got manna, almonds, and greens. I mean, you're back to Genesis 129. I mean, you're like a herbivore, you know? You're like, and you are lean, mean, fighting machine. And that's the thing. That's the thing. That's what happens. So, if, if you want to be radical, you can be radical. You know, David, how many of you know, have ever heard of this guy, David Ashry? You know why he became an Adventist? He went to this restaurant, and they were vegetarians at the restaurant, and he was too. And he goes, wow, they're radical. Yeah, and you could just see him like this. This is what he would do, you know. That's how he moves. And, and, and he changed. How many of you remember that? He changed. He, he's converted. How many, how many of you glad he got converted? But he wouldn't have gotten converted unless there was some radical Adventist there leading a radical restaurant called Veggies. It's really a most holy place restaurant, right? It's back. You know what I'm saying? Wow. So people that are... Okay, I won't go into that anymore. But this is powerful, right? Look at this. This is a picture. Not of you. But... This person had this narrowing of the coronary artery. And if that's such down, you know, that's the widow maker. In other words, it goes, goes down. It's called the widow maker because it feeds so much of the heart that if that part of the heart dies, your spouse is a widow. Widow maker. Now you say, oh, that, does not, that doesn't affect people my age. Huh. I took care of 16-year-olds that had heart attacks. 17-year-olds that died. It's happening more and more now because people are... Less and less healthy. And even Adventists can figure out how to be unhealthy. Have you noticed this? I call it the vegetarian rebellion. They know how to do it. They know how to be unhealthy on just cheese. <laughs> you know? I can mess up my body with only one food. <laughs> not, not, to, not to mention little billies. Okay? I don't want to get in trouble here. You know what I'm saying? Can you connect the dots there? Anyway. All right. So... Here's this guy. His name is, uh, what's his name? Dr. Kroll. He's like the head doctor of the breast cancer uh, task force at Cleveland Clinic. And um, he got sick. So they took a picture of him. This is a picture of his sickness. Look at this. This was his left anterior descending artery. Look at it. It's all filled with gruel. This is not broccoli. Broccoli was not the center of his artery. No. This is, this is like French fries, okay? It's totally closed up. If he didn't get surgery, he's going to die. He's only in his 40s when this picture is taken. So he says, what do I do? I can't have surgery because I die from the surgery. So what do I do? You know what he did? He looked up a program like you, like those that uh, are like a most holy place diet. And he started doing that. Notice what happened. 96 to 99. Notice what happened. That completely opened up. How many can say hallelujah to that? But that was repentance right there, wasn't it? He confessed his sin. He repented. He was eating this way. Now he's eating this way. And as a result, zzz, opens up. By the way, if you eat that way, your brain also works better and you get better grades. So, reversing coronary... Now look, Daniel 
10 days, things changed in his life. I remember the story of Daniel. Like this morning, I told you the oldest scientific study known to man is the book of Daniel, according to the New England Journal of Medicine. In Daniel chapter 1, um, 10 to 14 days, they said, test us 10 to 14 days. Now, here in this particular picture, if you don't mind me getting in the way, since it is my picture, this, this part is the perfused area. In other words, the blood is flowing through. It's nice and red, and this is flowing okay, and then it's not flowing at all here. See that? This guy, in other words, he's only, everything's supposed to be flowing here, but he's, this, he's not flowing at all. He's, he's, he's backed up. He's stopped up. He's plugged. Okay? Now, notice what happens when his cholesterol comes down, which you can do for lifestyle or diet or, or a statin, which will take your liver out, but, but uh, you know, that's okay. Uh, well, not okay, but you know what I'm saying. There is that danger. Statins don't just take your liver. They're pretty, they're, they're okay, but they're not the best for your liver. Went from 261 cholesterol down to 126. Notice what happens. There's that amount of perfusion. Now, now look at this. Completely opened up. How many days is that? 10 days. 10 to 14 days. How many think that's amazing? So if you make a decision to change within 10 to 14 days, <laughs> the solution to your pollution will be dilution. It will be open. <laughs> Are you with me? It will be opened up. And everything will open up. If your coronary arteries open up, every single artery opens up. If your arteries open up, by the way, you know, they studied people that were your age in uh, uh, Vietnam. And as they were dying, they would die, they opened up their chests, And they, they, they found out that this, this coronary artery disease starts when you're very young. In fact, according to the Bogalusha study, it starts even when you're two or three years old. They can see plaques in your arteries beginning to develop, usually 10% narrowing by year, by, by, by decade. So right now is the time where you guys have got some, you know, junk if you're eating the wrong way. And it can open up just in 10 to 14 days. How many think that's pretty good news? Pretty good news. So uh, same thing again, this particular patient, same thing again. See these radical changes? Look at that. Man, in just 10 to 14 days, 10 to 14 days. So government officials like this guy, Tommy Thompson, when he used to work for the Bush administration, and then he got bushed. <laughs> anyway, he, uh, he, he said, look, we want to hear about that. The state of Indiana now is using this program, that program for the entire state of Indiana. Where did the program come from? <laughs> the Adventists. How many of you are thankful to be Adventists? That's radical changes, you know, and it's a lot less expensive than, uh, than the other, other ways. And that's why people are looking more and more at the Adventist Church. So that's one program I've used. Another program I've used is the Depression Recovery Program. This is where people come with, you know, they're depressed, they're, they're down. How many of you have ever met someone who's down? Yeah, right, me too. So, in fact... One of the largest groups of people that are down are teens. Suicide is rising. There's all kinds of problems within your age category. And there's all kinds of people that are struggling with their mental performance. So I, I, I now call this seminar Reaching or Regaining Mental Peak Performance. That sounds a little less depressing than depression, you know. But anyway, so uh, that's, that's what I call it. So when people come, I help them distinguish between the two things, their spiritual symptoms or their physical symptoms. And, of course, I am, you know, uh, I work with the spiritual things. <laughs> and uh, then someone else works with the physical symptoms. And this is what we get them doing. We draw their blood. They cry out, then what must I do to be saved? Does they see the results? Uh, we give them a massage. We put them in a tub and uh, do hot and cold treatments. <laughs> you know, the Bible says, I would that you be hot or cold. We take that seriously there. So that's like, <laughs> so we, we do that right there. Okay? 
Then this is melatonin. It doesn't look much like it. It doesn't look like, but that's what it is. We exercise, man, that will really turn things around. They've done these, uh, these links between depression and exercise. And, and, and if you just walk, you're less depressed. You know, walking and talking, which do you think is the best for, for depressed people? <laughs> walking. But if you talk while you walk, it's okay for those of you who like to talk, you know. But, uh, and then light therapy. That's really great. We'll come back to And then nutrition. So we do that. And we identify their physical problems, like usually depressed people have insomnia or hyperinsomnia, which means they are tired or really tired, you know. Significant weight change, feelings of being restless or slowed down, fatigue, loss of energy, problems concentrating, a sense of alienation from one, things once deemed beautiful and pleasant, feeling sad, blue, down, in the dumps, green, the blue funk, whatever. So they really feel bad. That's the one side, physical problems. But usually, or sometimes, these things can be just uh, cover-ups for the issue of pride, shame, guilt, fear, anxiety, thanklessness. This is a huge one. Not having enough gratefulness. That's huge. Uh, hopelessness, by the way, uh, those that are getting over addictions, many times they'll have them fill out a grateful journey, uh, a, a grateful journal, not journey, and they journal their gratefulness. Like, for instance, I'm just grateful that I want to be grateful, or I'm just grateful that I want to get over this. You know what I mean? And gratefulness has a, a very powerful effect. I wish I could go through all these. I do that when I'm with people in health seminars. Anger, unforgiving spirit, bitterness, huge. So these people, just in this one class, uh, I was teaching an inpatient class. We had 18 people in the class. Here are the people that they have anxiety scores, pre-anxiety and post-anxiety scores. All of them are kind of freaked out. Now, this wasn't because they saw me, one, two, three, four, uh, but, but it was because they saw the other staff members. No, it was just because they were anxious. And all of them had like, pr- they were pretty anxious. And then notice what happened. All of them except for two got totally rid of their anxiety, and there was a 100% response rate in just 10 days. I would think that's just great. I could show you the connection between anxiety and stress on every body system or talk about it, but I don't have time. But I just think that's wonderful. And uh, now let me show you the depression scores. This is a little more impressive. Here's the depression stores. This is pre and post. This is Beck's inventory, which is kind of the gold standard of depression. Most of them are severely depressed. See that? There's only like one, two, three, four that are moderately depressed, which was very depressing for us leading the seminar because this was going to be a very rough class. So we went through and we added all those different things that I told you about that we did on that picture, the light therapy, the cold and hot, all those different things, spiritual counseling, emotional counseling, physical exercise. And after 10 days, notice what happened. Look at that. Can you say hallelujah to that? Look, if you were a Pfizer drug company and that happened, you'd be going, yes, I'm going to be rich. (laughs) Right? But that's what can happen in your Seventh-day Adventist church or to your friend when you help them. If you live radically and you help them live radically, guess what happens to their physical problems and their emotional problems? A lot of them can go away. Is that good news or not? You know, every meal becomes a message, and every member becomes a marketer for the kingdom of God. Yes? Whoa, man, good news. So all the way down, I mean, they, 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 most of them, 21, uh, I don't know what that means, but most of them were severely depressed, and they went all the way down to being basically no depression. Basically. So, number one, if you're going to be effective in, in uh, medical missionary work, if you're going to be effective in uh, health evangelism, is scientific excellence. Uh, scientific excellence. Number two, sacrificial service. If you want to be effective, you've got to have sacrificial service. In other words, they don't, know how much, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Usually in the medical profession today, people are um, out to make money. 
Or at least that's what people think they're out to make. So when they go to see the doctor or they go for a procedure, they're, they're going, oh, the guy's going to get rich off this. And healthcare is big business. Big business in the world today, you know. I was listening to these candidates who were in Michigan trying to win the votes, the Republican candidates. And you know what they were saying? Well, the big business that can bring, it, bring us back from the crash of the auto industry is here is that the baby boomers are all getting old and they're going to need more hospitals. That's big business. I was like, how sick? Because, you know, they're getting rich after someone being sick. So when, when you have this, uh, when you have this uh, scientific excellence coupled with sacrificial service, now look, I'm all for scientific excellence and everything a physician or anyone can do. I'm not saying that's wrong. But in your health program, if you serve people sacrificially, they, just go, they don't know how to relate to it. They go, wait a minute, you mean you don't want to be paid for this? So in my program, we had lots of people that were like sacrificial servants. This is Jan. She was a nurse by day, and at night she would come help lead the program. This is Amy. She would, she would uh, help lead. And these people just sacrificially served the people that came to the program. And when they did that, it really touched their hearts. You know, they'd see the physicians and others from the church. they come, and they would just donate their time. And they go, wow, what's wrong with you? Why are you so helpful? Right? That's amazing. The same thing happened to Jesus. You know, he came all the way down from glory. They couldn't believe it. People couldn't believe it. You mean you healed everybody in the city? What would happen if Jesus came and healed everybody in Loma Linda? Would he be well received? By some, yes. You understand what I'm saying? But it was sacrificial service. Sacrificial service. And people look at like some of the facial expressions. (laughs) She's just, they're just delighted. They're just like... That's just amazing. So Jesus, he was, he was interested in people in a disinterested way. What does that mean? Disinterested benevolence is kind of a metaphor that Ellen White used. It means that he was so uninterested in what people thought about him that he told them or helped them do whatever was necessary for them to be saved. How many think that's a pretty good definition? Really, the issue with Jeffrey's sermon this morning was what? People don't have disinterested benevolence anymore. They're too interested in their own future. They're too interested in what people will think. They're too interested in all those other things, so they don't do what's necessary to be radical disciples. Is that another way to say what Jeffrey said this morning? Okay. Yeah. It might not be accurate, but it's another way to say it. Okay. Disinterested benevolence. And Ellen White talked to the early uh, health institutions of Adventism, and this is what she said. Should those connected with this this enterprise cease to look at their work from a high religious standpoint and descend from the exalted principles of present truth to imitate in theory and practice those at the head of institutions where the sick are only treated for the recovery of health? In other words, only for the recovery of health. You know, this is only a job to help you get better. If you go about it that way and your beliefs are not a part of it, what happens? The special blessing of God would not rest on our institution more than upon those where corrupt theories are taught. How many can think that's a powerful statement? In other words, if you don't keep the main thing the main thing, then the main thing is no longer the main thing. And God can't bless you. (coughs) Don't, Don't try and write that down, okay? So, scientific excellence, sacrificial service. How many of you got the sacrificial service part? And then sufficient time. You know, we think that it only takes a little bit of time to do stuff. We're like this fast food nation, like, okay, I'll help you really quick. Here's what God teaches. Hey, man, let's go. <laughs> so we go on these short-term mission trips. I'm not, I have nothing against short-term mission trips. But let me ask you a question. 
Just going there for two weeks and coming back. Do you think it does make an impact, but do you think it's really what is ultimately needed? How many say, would say probably not? You know, it's probably more effective for you than for the people. Because you go down there and you see the abject poverty and what people have to go through. And you go, man, I really have it good at Southern. Or I really have it good back there. I guess I have a lot to be thankful for. And that is a great benefit. I mean, think that's a great benefit. But if you want to radically impact someone else for the kingdom of God, Jesus came down and he came from heaven and he just held a two-week seminar and then he went back. I don't know if you remember this. No, 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 no. We have a whole lesson on discipleship this week in the church and he comes down and he picks people and he hangs out with them for three and a half years. And now you know why they put you in college for four. <laughs> so, you know, so if you want to learn something or radically do something, you have to take a little extra time. Right? So, sufficient time. And, uh, you know, that's an interesting picture, isn't it? There's different, there's different, <laughs> there's different programs, like health programs, that, that, that last different amount of times. The, the coronary health improvement program lasts four weeks, four times a week, and then they come on Sundays at, well, our, at our church, so that's like a month. That's pretty good. How many think that's good? That's pretty good. And then there's eight weeks to wellness. This was one time a week, depression recovery, eight weeks, simple solutions, four weeks. But you see, all I'm trying to say is the more time you can spend with someone, the better. Unless you're not converted, (laughs) then please don't hang around too long. You know what I'm saying? And then there's a change that comes over. So scientific excellence, if you want to be effective in health evangelism, uh, with sacrificial service, sufficient time, and not only sufficient time, you have to have significant interaction. How many of you have met someone you just sit with them for an hour and you go like, nothing happened. It was a waste of time. How many of you have ever been to a class with a teacher? You're going, why did I pay uh, $700 a credit hour for that? <laughs> Has this ever happened to you? Why? Right? Do you ever say that to them? You're 10 minutes late. You owe me $200. <laughs> You ever do this kind of stuff? So anyway, you're sitting there, you go, there needs to be significant interaction when someone comes. You understand what I mean? You need to know where you are on the court. How many of you remember this guy called Michael Jordan? Why do you remember him? Because he was good at what he did. He knew where he was on the court, right? He knew how to score a lot of points. Not that he's a role model, but you remember him because of Wayne Gretzky. He always knew where the puck was, right? You need to know where you are on the court. You need to know what the person needs to, 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 to have said. Right? So, you know that thing we went forward this morning in? And by the way, uh, those of you who were not here this morning, there's a summary of the study this morning uh, right here in these, uh, these pamphlets. But um, what we went through this morning was Revelation chapter 1, and it had all the S's of Adventism. Revelation chapter 1, first of all, starts with the Scriptures, then salvation, then the second coming, then the sanctuary, then the Sabbath, then the state of the dead, then the spirit of prophecy, and then the church. It's all right there. You need to know where people are in terms of their needs. Look. The first one is the scriptures. What's their source of authority? What do they look for as authority? Do they think they're the authority? Do they think their friends are the authority? Ultimately, the ultimate authority is what? God's word. And if they don't have that straight, that's where you hang out. You start there. Well, if they know that, then, then what, do, do they understand the plan of salvation? And if they know that, do they understand there's a sense of urgency? Jesus is coming again. And if they know that, do they, do they understand the Sabbath message yet? And if they know that, do they understand the sanctuary? You understand? You know where you are in the court. How many of you understand what I'm saying? So if you're sitting next to someone, you need to know where you are in the court. Like if you meet someone, you say, well, wait a minute. This is what they need help with. 
and then you help them with that. You're not asked to move someone from 1 to 10, all right? You meet somebody and say, all right, let's, let's go ahead towards the baptismal tank. They don't know what you're talking about. But if you say, wait a minute, I have come in touch with the Word of God, and this is how it changed my life. You move them from a 0 to a 1. How many of you with me? And then you move them along. So you need to know where you are on the court. If you, and this is so many times in churches, you know, they have all kinds of seminars and stuff, and the church members are there, and they sit right next to the people, and they're like the frozen chosen, you know. <laughs> and they rotate the chairs on the Titanic. They don't even talk to the, the guests. They don't even talk to them. They go to church and they look for their friends. You know, there are these studies where it says, take six or seven people, you have to have six or seven friends for them to stay in the church. Well, they made their six or seven friends 50 years ago, and that's all they talk to. (laughs) They don't talk to new people, you know what I mean? When I go to church, I always try and look for the most freaked out person in the church. Which one looks like they lead the more, lead, need the Lord the most? And I go sit by them. <laughs> you know what I mean? That freaks them out a little bit more. But anyway, so I go sit next to them, right? Because I hate it when someone comes to the church and they're a non-member or something and then nobody sits with them. Because they smell bad, because they look bad. Look, they're in the house of the Lord. Amen? All right. Yeah. So, significant interaction. Now, here's the point. You like that car? It's supposed to be red. Something's going wrong with my thing here. Is it red or am I colorblind? No, it's not red. It's not red at all, but it is right up here. It's red. I can tell you it's red. Red. Okay. Reminds me of this Indian chief. He got a, he got a Cadillac. He lived in Oklahoma. A lot of Indians moved to Oklahoma because they got kicked out of their other places. And so he, he, he lived there, and he had this Cadillac, and he was driving his Cadillac around the center of the village in the middle of the teepees driving it around and pretty soon he said I'm taking my Cadillac back so what are you taking your Cadillac back for he said I just can't stand having to stand up in the, in the Cadillac well what are you standing up for well the guy had the Cadillac hooked up to some horses because he he, 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 didn't, he didn't want to use the engine it, it scared him so for uh, several years, he had been driving his Cadillac around, hooked up to horses. When he had 300 horsepower under the hood, and he never turned it on. This is a true story. Maybe his name was Sitting Bull, I don't know. <laughs> but he was just sitting there when he could have been going quickly, you know. I don't know what his name was. Why am I telling you this story? Because you can't have significant interaction or power in your witnessing life if you're just hooked up to your little horses. You've got to be hooked up to the Holy Spirit. Yes or no? And that's the thing. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. 16, page 47. There is nothing more needed in work than the practical results of communion with God. We should show by our daily lives that we have peace and rest in God. His peace in the heart will shine forth where? In the countenance. It will give to the voice a persuasive power. Communion with God will import a, impart a moral elevation to the character and to the entire course of action. Prayer and the study of His Word must not be neglected, for here is the source of His strength. No work for the church should take precedence for this. What's that basically saying? Hook up to the source of power. Don't just use your own horses and carry your Cadillac around. 
Look, the Adventist message is a Cadillac. Yes or no? It's got everything you need. Mm. But unless you're connected with the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter how good your Cadillac is. You with me? Now look at this. The church seems content to take only the first steps in conversion. They are more ready for active labor than humble devotion. More ready to engage in outward religious service than in the inner work of the heart. Meditation and prayer are neglected for bustle and show. Religion must begin with emptying and purifying the heart and must be nurtured by daily prayer. Whoa! Without a living faith in Christ as a personal Savior, it's impossible to make our influence felt in a skeptical world. We cannot give to others that which we ourselves do not possess. So if you want to make a radical change in others' lives, what has to happen? God has to be making a radical change in your life from, from day to day. Yes or no? That's really it. That's the bottom line. I should tell you a story. No, you like stories? You know, I learned a long, ago, long time ago in these health classes, and I kind of learned it, kind of just, I, I didn't read this quote or anything, but it struck me after I read it, that if you, if you, if you just start praying for people, that does a lot. So I started, I had this journal, and I was praying for these people, you know. And I would pray for the people, and I put checks in my journal every time I prayed. Like, I got, I got to know, first of all, I know their name. Bill. Bill has a problem with this. Bill thinks this is this. Bill thinks that. I wrote down everything as I learned about it. And then I'd pray for those different things. And then, guess what happened in Bill's life? Things would change in his life. And i go, prayer, answered to prayer. And i put it down on my little list, you know. Because I, I always forget what I've prayed. <laughs> well, not always, but mostly. How many of you know the, the, the weakest ink is stronger than the strongest memory? So I would just write it down. And uh, so I would write it down, and then I'd go back, and I'd see, that's amazing. God answered that. God answered that. And then, you know, at the right time, I showed Bill. Bill said, I said, I've been, well, I've been thinking about you at first because, you know, if you tell people you're praying for them and they're not, they're not Christian people, they think that they're going to die. <laughs> you know, I worked in the hospital. I'd say, well, I'm praying for you. Really? Is it that bad? You know, I'm terrified. <laughs> so I said, well, actually, I'm just thinking about you because prayer is thinking, you know. <laughs> so uh, to protect them. But then I'd show Bill, and Bill just touched his heart, touched his heart. And he, and he couldn't believe someone was praying for him, and uh, he changed. Another time I had a friend who got into drugs and uh he came to live he was 17 years old and he he fell off the wagon i didn't know where he was and he was out there somewhere and i just don't know where he was but i knew his email address so every day i wrote down a prayer for him on his email address i didn't know if he was answering it and he wasn't i wrote it hotmail you know dot com everybody that doesn't have anything has a hotmail address so um you know because you don't have to pay for it so anyway he, he, he i write this prayer every single day Every single day for like, I don't know what it was, three months. This is what he told me. He said, one day I went and I opened up my email. He opened up his email and there were prayers for the last three months for him. He immediately called me up. And his life has completely turned around. He's rededicated his life to God. You see the power of prayer? In Isaiah 53, it says that he will see the travail of his soul and will be satisfied. Jesus prays for us now. He travails of soul. And if we understood how much he's praying for us and what he's doing for us, it would break our hearts. How many think that's true? Now, in your, if you want to have significant interaction in your health work, pray for people. Does that sound like it's too simple? It's actually quite a discipline. 
So, you know, you have to kind of work it into your schedule. When I used to swim laps, I had this laminated sheet with all the names of people I'm praying for, and I'd swim a lap for different people. <laughs> Bill needs two laps today. <laughs> you know, and I, so I'd swim those laps. So I, I worked it into the schedule. You know what I mean? Got to work it into the schedule. So men will never truly be temperate until the grace of Christ is the abiding principle in the heart. Circumstances, which is what your health programs and your witnessing and what your things are, circumstances cannot work reform. Christianity proposes a reformation in the heart. What Christ works within will be worked out under the dictation of a converted intellect. The plan of beginning outside and trying to work inward has always failed and always will fail. In other words, you said, come to my program and we'll change you. No. No. They need to be changed from the inside. You can't do that. Only God can do the open heart surgery. Is my right or wrong? Now, he might draw them to your program. There's no question. But what you have to be praying is that the microwave of his... <laughs> uh, I don't know, maybe microwave is not the good thing, but it needs to go inside and work from the inside out. Right? Okay. All right, I could go through some more quotes like that. You know, Jesus was so effective. Look at this picture of Jesus. Look at this. This is Jesus. This is how effective Jesus was. This is not an actual photograph, but look at all those people sitting on the hill. This is how effective Jesus was. The Savior's work was not restricted to any time or place. His compassion knew no limit. On so large a scale did he conduct his work of healing and teaching that there was no building in Palestine large enough to receive the multitudes that thronged to him. How many think that's a radical statement? If we were living like the Christians of the first century, how many of you think this would happen more often? In Acts chapter 3, you had 3,000 baptized in one day, 5,000 baptized in one day. Look, they couldn't find any room big enough to keep them in. They were living radical lives for Jesus. Um, but having said that, it doesn't matter how big your program is. If you don't boil it down to one-on-one interaction... It doesn't make any difference. You'll notice that Jesus had all these masses, but then he would deal with people one-on-one. Nicodemus met him in the middle of the night. He was a very rich man. He was the highest of society, and he met him in the middle of the night and had a personal interview with him. Wasn't that powerful? Notice what this quote says. The Lord desires that his word of grace shall be brought home to every soul. To a great degree, this must be accomplished by what kind of labor? Personal labor. This was Christ's method. His work was largely made up of personal interviews. He had a faithful regard for the one soul audience. Through that one soul, the message was often extended to thousands. Personal interviews. Then he also met people in the middle of the day. This was the woman. She was very poor. She was an outcast. She was the bottom of society. And he met her in the middle of the day. Men, he that has an ear, let him hear. Don't meet ladies in the middle of the night. Meet them in the middle of the day. Amen? So... So you have the, the, the men and the women, and in the middle he has this word. What's the word? Whosoever believeth in me. It doesn't matter if you're rich. doesn't matter if you're poor. doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. But ultimately, it all comes down to a personal interview. Let me tell you a story about this. I've had a lot of health programs over the years, and what I've learned is that those health programs only lay the foundation for personal inter, uh, interviews or exchanges with people that you never could have had before. This one guy came to my seminar. His name was Ed. Ed had taken every single class in the state of Kansas about math. He was like Mr. Math. He was like Pythagoras. He was like Einstein. He was like, you know, nothing was relative to him. So he was like really into math. I mean, everything. And so when he went through the program, he was sitting there in the program, and he was going like this at first. Sorry, it's audio, audio verse, sorry about that. So he's sitting like this, and he's 
And then he noticed there were statistics, so he takes out his pen, and he's doing all these algorithms and everything during the program. So he gets through and he goes, look, this is exactly what he said. He's got like all of these notations and quotations and uh, undulations and, you know, square roots and, and Z scores and T scores and everything else. And I was like, he goes, you see what I mean? I go, yeah, I see what you mean. I don't understand it, but I see it. So we st- he, he was really into that, right? Great guy. So he's listening to the health program. He's going along. And all of a sudden, like in the middle of it, he really gets into it. And he comes to me one day and he goes, Hey, Don. I said, What's up, Ed? He said, I want to get off the bench. I want to join the team. I want to get into the game. I think it's late in the last quarter. <laughs> so what are you talking about? He goes, uh, um, I want to get off the bench. I want to join the team. I want to be, uh, I want to be on, uh, not just on the, on the bench anymore. I want to be on the varsity. I was like, what are you talking about? Just make it plain to me. He goes, I'm trying to say I'm interested in joining your church. So I said, well, that's great, Ed. That's wonderful. He's in my health class, right? And so I said, well, why don't we, uh, why, why don't we, uh, why don't we plan on that? Why don't we plan on you joining our church? He says, yeah, let's plan on it. I said, well, why don't we set a date? So he said, I, he said okay. So he came to my office, and I, I showed him that text in Matthew 28 that says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. I said, do you know everything the church uh, teaches or the commandments of God? He goes, no. I said, well, then why don't we meet and talk about those, and we'll move towards your baptism. And so we went into this time of personal interview. What he did, this is what he did. He said, look, I don't know how to eat out, and I don't cook. I only eat out at restaurants, and I don't know how I'm going to continue this program. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you to every, every restaurant in town that I can think of, and you show me what you get to eat there. So every Tuesday, he would take me to a different restaurant. And he tried to find, like, the worst restaurants ever to see what I'd do. <laughs> red Lobster, Red, White, and Blue, Bacon House, um, these, all these things, you know. And I, could, I would find something, you know, and then we'd sit there, and we'd start to study the book of Daniel together. And later on, he was baptized. But you see that that program, that large program, then led to a what? A personal interview. Can you see that? Don't think, well, we're just going to go to the large program, and then we'll all hand out cards, and we'll have a mass baptism, and then everyone will be very, very healthy. <laughs> no. You've got to, I mean, look, I'm from Amazing Facts, and we're into that too. I mean, in other words, we, we believe in that. But everything comes down to a personal interview. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, and personal discipleship. So, scientific excellence leads to sacrificial service and sufficient time, significant interaction, and a spiritual pathway is established. Here's the spiritual pathway. By the way, when is this supposed to get over? 30, 2.30. 2.30? Then when, we start, when do we start again? 2.45. Oh, okay. Man, you're freaking me out. Okay, look, man, we got so much to cover. But anyway, spiritual ta- path is established. We can do this. You see... Uh, Dr. Timothy Jennings, I think, that lives near here on 3ABN, I was interviewing a few years ago, showed me this paradigm. Each of us have a spiritual nature, the man of the spirit, and it's made up of reason. Isaiah 118 says what? Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What does verse 19 say? 
If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. <laughs> There's a health message. Okay, so in other words, in other words, it seems reasonable. You, you know, in other words, when they come to your health program, they go, okay, we hear what you're saying about the food. We see how that relates to diabetes. We see how that relates to heart disease. We see all the scientific things. And uh, so it's reasonable. We're going to do that. It makes sense, conscience. It's the difference between what? Right and wrong, good and bad. If you eat the good of the land, they know what's good versus bad. So the spiritual nature gives us the ability to reason, to know what's right and wrong, and then what's, what's worship mean? Worth. It's worth my attention, you know? Like, for instance, you see someone you like, and they talk to them more, you, you realize they're reading through the conflict of the ages series, and they've just finished the testimonies, and you go, maybe this is someone I can marry. They're worth my attention. By the way, that's how when I was dating my wife, you know, I had had some really bad problems with relationships, <laughs> those mostly self-induced before that. And I decided that the best way to figure out how to figure out how to uh, the right person to, to, to marry was to read the, uh, one of the chapters of The Great Controversy on the first date. I had a lot of people that never even went out with me. But my wife, she goes, I'm actually reading that book right now. That's Luminita. And I said, really? Yes. Yeah. This must be the right one, baby, uh-huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> not a bad plan. By the way, guys, it will save you a lot of money if you do this. You know what I'm saying? All right. Okay, don't write that down yet. That's not what the seminar is about. So, uh, reason, constant. In other words, worth my attention. That's the spiritual name. The problem is that we have this warring against it. We each have a selfish nature. The old man instead of the new man. They're the selfish nature. It's based on genetic vulnerability, you know. Uh, the leaves don't fall too far from the tree. You know, if your dad's not healthy, because of some reason, you probably aren't either. And, you know, it's just kind of like, well, my dad ain't that way, and so do I. <laughs> so, you know, that's going on. And then that's coupled with selfishness. So inherited and cultivated weaknesses, we call those. And they're based on three things. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Um, or sensualism. Ooh, that feels good. Materialism. Oh, I can afford it. And egoism. I want it, and I want it now. So that selfishness fights against the spiritual nature. That is the great controversy. And you thought that was a book, right? But it's really between your ears. That's the great controversy. How many of you are familiar with this controversy? You see that hot, fat sun, and you go, your stomach starts to lead you <laughs> instead of your head, right? That's what's happening. So you have the spirit versus the flesh. Now, in the middle, in the middle, then, is what we try and help people in our health programs. You say, well, uh, you see, every health program that's helping them make decisions, spiritual decisions, uh, then leads down to a decision. Every health program that's done right says this is the, the this is the reason we do it. It's right. It's worth your attention. But then you lead people to decision, and they have to to will to do it. Not the will of the flesh, but the will of the spirit. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Not just to will believe, but also do His good pleasure. And then, once that happens, if you make the decision, then the thoughts will follow. And if the thoughts are right, then the feelings will be right, and the thoughts and feelings combined make the character. So the thoughts, what's this text say? But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds and the casting down of imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity of Christ. How many think that's a very good verse? So even the thoughts can be captivated. Like you say, oh man, I think I'm going to eat that. I think I'm going to do this. And you go, that's a bad thought because that's a bad food. So you can captivate those by choosing. 
How many think that's just great? That is very good, isn't it? And then the feelings follow. The feelings are not in the lead, but usually people will say, what do I feel like eating today? Well, you know, you shouldn't let the feelings lead. How many of you, there's lots of people in America that are letting their feelings lead when it comes to that, right? Can you see this great controversy? Can you see the issues in it? And this right here is the area. I mean, God has given us the gift of enmity. That's the will. You can choose. And, and then the thoughts and the feelings follow. That's what happens in health programs. When you do a health program, it's called the entering wedge, Ellen White calls it. And what it does is it has that pattern of what's right versus what's wrong and how to make a decision for the right. And you establish that way of thinking, and then it lays the foundation so that not only do they come to your health program, but they also will, will now be able and perhaps willing to accept the greater spiritual truths. How many can see the beauty of that? So every health program then is a very spiritual thing. It's laying the foundation so that they can accept something much greater. Not just life, but now they can learn about eternal life. Not just avoiding death, but now avoiding the second death. Are you with me? All right. It is 2.30, but man, you've got to be back here right on time because I have a lot to cover, and it is actually very interesting. So go, 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 go. Take a break, and then come back.